Nick Vujicic is an Australian-American born without arms or legs who has become a world-renowned speaker that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, New York Times bestselling author, coach, and entrepreneur. And Nick has preserved through life's incredible challenges in a way that many others haven't and discovered key principles which have enabled him to find purpose and turn obstacles into opportunities, making him, as you probably know, one of the most sought-after keynote speakers in the world. Millions of people have found hope, redemption, the gospel, strength to overcome their challenges, challenges through Nick's ministry of life without limbs. Husband to Kene and father of four children, Nick's um, passion is to inspire and equip the world to know that we can all rise above adversity and overcome every disability of heart and mind. Buckle up, we're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. <laughs> Nick, welcome to the show, brother. Seth, my absolute honor. Love you. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. This has been a, a real treat and privilege. As I was telling you uh, off air, you uh, gifted and blessed our congregation here at Godspeak Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks recently. And I was on a no tech, no phone sabbatical with my family. And so I got back and I was like, are you kidding me? And so uh, our, our great spiritual mother, Betsy Gray, has been uh, doing wonderful work with you, has been telling me that we need to connect forever. So thank you for blessing me and, and our pro-life audience here with, uh, with your gifts, your skills, your talents, and your story. You know, it's so amazing because we both equally uh, yoked uh, can both tell the world who Betsy Gray is to us in the spirit and uh, how this now interconnects uh, man, she's going to be crying when she watches this one. Lovely to <laughs> with you. Oh, I think making her cry is a good goal. Um, and for those of you guys tuning in just now, um, Betsy Gray, as many of you know, is the director of Santa Barbara's Pregnancy Center. And I met her at 19 years old as a freshman at Westmont College uh, when I started the first pro-life club that that Christian university had ever had. Um, and, and the rest is history. So, uh, Nick, thank you all that you've done for, for life, for liberty, for the unborn. Um, and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, for any listeners to the show who for some strange reason don't know who you are, I wouldn't know how that's possible. Um, I would love to have you just share a little bit of your testimony and your heart with us um, in, in what you've overcome and, and the source of your strength, um, which I, I really think in our political moment, in our cultural moment, in this culture of death, where the only God that people seem to recognize is themselves or the government, um, I think we need a breath of fresh air and a reminder of whom we really serve um, and why we're here. So why don't you just uh, go no hold bars and tell us um, a little bit of your testimony and story. Seth, can I first say thank you for, um, I mean, I thank God for you and by his mercy and grace, I also now thank you. Uh, you know, understanding that you are a champion for the unborn as well. And I told you off air, as soon as I clicked on one video of yours, I couldn't stop watching what you're doing. So thank you for being a light. Absolutely, uh, 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 basically the story, I wanna start with my parents. Uh, my mom was six when communism regime in Yugoslavia in 1960s came to my mom's house, uh, took over their possessions and kicked them out of the house. Uh, they left uh, and fled Yugoslavia and were in refugee camps. Uh, my dad was 15 when they fled Yugoslavia as well, and my mom and dad met in Australia. Not speaking any English, they met each other, they fell in love, 
uh, and they got married. And five years after marriage, I was their firstborn son. My dad straddled three jobs while he was a volunteering lay pastor uh, at the church. Wow. And my mom was a full-time nurse. And in Australia, in her nursing job, her um, um, specialty was in birth uh, uh, pregnancies, uh, epidurals, ultrasounds, the whole thing. She did it all. Wow. Uh, and so she actually had a premonition, actually, something would be wrong with her first pregnancy. So she made sure she, did, she didn't touch any alcohol nor any caffeine. She was extremely careful. And she actually told my dad, something doesn't feel right. And my dad's like, stop being so negative. Like, that's terrible, right? Um, and then they did like three sonograms and they had no idea to check, you know, that I had 10 fingers, 10 toes. In fact, when they wanted to know if Nick was a boy or girl, uh, we know what to look for, right? Uh, and uh, they said it was easy. The legs weren't in the way. And so they had no idea until I was actually born that I was born without limbs. No medical reason why. I have a little left foot on the bottom of my uh, torso, a little appendage, two toes that enable me today to type 53 words a minute on a normal computer and golf and fish and swim and surf and scuba dive and skydive and do many things and keep me mobile as I then drive my electric wheelchair. And um, very, very thankful for that. Um, little gift that God gave me. Um, but I am going to say it was obviously very difficult as I came to terms with understanding, number one, that I was different. I think it was about age four or five when I, I knew I was different. Age six, though, was when I realized it could be a problem. Uh, it was when um, my mom championed, actually, the state education system of Victoria back in 1989 by federal law to the state. Um, I was supposed to be segregated from everybody else into a special school. My mom said no, put him in with everybody else. And I was the first wow. one trailblazing integration into the education system of Australia back in 1989. I was awarded Young Citizen of the Year in 1990, got a lot of publicity. That felt good. But what I hated uh, as a kid was everyone's looking at me, bullying me, teasing me, um, and me wondering why. My brother and sister were born after me with arms and legs, and I would hear my dad preach every Sunday about this loving God. And I'm like, either he's forgotten me, um, or you know how it says, Seth, you'll appreciate this because, you know, we're kind of humorous here. Um, you know, we're creating his image. I used to say maybe the mirror was foggy when God got out of his shower and he forgot that he had no arms and no legs creating me in his image that morning. I had no idea where he was. Uh, where is this plan that he has? Jeremiah 29 verse 11. God has a whole plan of future. I'm thinking that's not for me. Um, did I do something wrong? Uh, the people who were teasing me, they deserve to have no limbs. And so I really questioned God and actually hated God for about four or five years of my life between ages eight and 12. Um, I was forced to go into mathematics, if you will. It was the one thing that I really could compete in. My dad told me to study hard and become a multimillionaire. I'm going to need to be a multimillionaire, and I can't depend on mom and dad because they're going to get old, and I need to find my own feet. And so he told me to start a business at age six to believe that I'm going to be a business owner and the uh, employees are going to be my hands and feet. I never got anything from my parents as far as gifts and presents except for an annual birthday gift, and that was it. I vacuumed the floor for $2 a week, and that taught me many, many principles that I teach my own kids today. Um, and so I never had a, a bone of entitlement um, or playing the victim card. 
Um, but I still felt like I was a burden to my parents. Didn't believe that I would ever um, have hope or happiness or a job, independent, and totally never believed that I'd never get married uh, or having kids. Um, I thought to myself at age eight, even if I got a girlfriend who ended up being my wife, I can't even hold my wife's hand. Even if I had kids, I can't even hold my kids when they're crying. What kind of a father is that going to be? Um, and obviously today, I mean, if you look at the Facebook photos we just uploaded, me and my wife, um, she's an amazing woman of God. Um, I can't hold her hand, but I can hold her heart. Don't need arms for that. Um, and my kid, uh, at, at I think it was six or seven years old, Kiyoshi, he said, Daddy, I wish you had arms to hug me. I said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, but that's okay. I said, why is that, baby? He said, because that just means I'm going to hug you stronger and longer. Oh, and, um, you know, when you have broken pieces in your life, we have the temptation as human beings to compare brokenness to brokenness. But I tell teenagers all around the world, I believe it's worse being in a broken home than having no arms, no legs. You can have arms, legs, but still have a broken heart, be depressed and be crippled with right. fear and really crippled because of what you think the world thinks of you. Who cares? When the world says you're not good enough, get a second opinion. Amen. So anyway, uh, age 10, um, because I believed in the world's opinion about me, because all I could feel was brokenness and all I could see was dependency and no hope and my feelings overtook me. At age 10, I attempted suicide in my bathtub. I tried to fill my lungs up with water. Um, I wanted out. Um, and no one had any answers for me. God wasn't, uh, um, God wasn't answering me. So therein I concluded that he's either not real or he doesn't care. Um, and I was stopped, Seth, with one thought as I turned over the third time, seeing my mum and my dad crying at my grave, wishing they could have done something more. And at the fragile age of 10, I realized there's something worse than having no a, a son with no arms, no legs, who's a burden. Uh, it's a son who has no arms, no legs, who's a burden, but then ends his life. Um, and you carry that guilt as a parent and shame and wish I could have, should have, would have, if I only knew kind of thing. And I didn't want to leave them, them with that. So by the mercy of God, I stayed. Age 13, played soccer, hurt my little foot, couldn't walk for three weeks, was in bed staring at the ceiling, realizing the epiphany, either to be angry for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. Uh, and then age 15, John chapter 9, a man was born blind. No one knew why he was born that way. And imagine if you're blind, right? And you hear this conversation. Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin that he was born this way? You know what that means, Seth? Reincarnation was a theory back then too. Was it because of his parents' sin that he was born this way? Meaning punishment. Some people still believe that God punishes us for our sin. Well, the Bible says that if he's punishing you for your sin, you'd be dead by now. And so, uh, so he said neither. It said, uh, Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. Then Jesus spits in the dirt, makes the clay, puts it on the man's face. Now, what changed me, Seth, was not the miracle. What changed me was the fact that the blind man's faith. Right. Now, right. now he allowed this stranger called Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth to give him a facial. <laughs> and, and with no preempt, this is the... I'm JC, I'm the healer, uh, I'm going to put mud on your face and then you're going to see. 
That's what I was stuck at, Seth. I wanted to know the plan. God, if you just told me the plan, then I can trust you. But now we understand as we study the word of God that the pinnacle of our relationship with Jesus Christ is a pinnacle of our love and affection toward him that we can show in the time we can't see him, in the time we can't hear him, in the time we can't know the the plan that we still pursue him and love him and trust him. It's a pinnacle of relationship for us that is the pinnacle of his joy for us that he is blessed and pleased with children that despite us not understanding his plan, despite us not hearing his audible voice, despite us not seeing him face to face, we are his children that he is truly pleased in as we trust in him. Whether he gives us the things we want or not, children that trust him that he'll always give us what we need to the point that if he doesn't change the circumstance he'll use the circumstance and if we don't get a miracle we can still be miracles of god standing in front of the gates of hell redirecting traffic now as a mouthpiece wherein seth for a second can you imagine if god gave me miraculously arms and legs at age eight big deal to the eight billion people in the world But I stand now digitally in front of 8 billion people as a miracle of God that people cannot argue with because of the joint purpose and peace of God in my life that surpasses understanding, confounding the wise. And so understanding that when you don't get a miracle, you can still be one. Anyway, the summary of the tail end of this is then I gave my life to Jesus. The janitor at my high school was used by God to say, you're going to be a speaker. He organized my first speech. And I spoke, my palms were sweaty, my knees were shaking, and I didn't know what to say. People were changing, and then I got calls to schools and, uh, sorry, uh, to youth groups and stuff. And then at age 19, I was in front of a public high school, and I couldn't use the swear word, Jesus. So I just shared with everybody that I love them, that you're not a mistake, that there's a greater plan for your life, and that I love you just the way that you are. Half the girls were weeping, and one girl put up the hand. She said, I'm so sorry to interrupt. She said, can I come up there and give you a hug? She came up in front of everyone. She hugged me, and she whispered on my ear, thank you. No one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I will never be the same again. And that's when I knew I was born to be a speaker. Lastly, Seth, I was ordained a minister of evangelism at age 19, that's now taken me to 74 countries through the nonprofit organization Life Without Limbs, 12 staff. We've given away over $1.6 million to the poor and needy, but the primary purpose is to preach the gospel. So far, clicking 733 million people digitally, 9.5 million people face to face, of which 1.1 million gave their life to Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, Nick, your, your story is one in which when people hear it, you know, they can only say, um, but God. <laughs> and, and that's why I love your story. And <clears throat> I really wanted to make this point, too. I, I make this point a lot with my friend Melissa Odin, who's an abortion survivor, is that while, while your guys' stories are very different, you're both sort of walking contradictions in the culture of death. You know, you, or an abortion survivor, are the individuals that the culture says should not have lived. You didn't meet the quality of life standard that the culture of death invents. And if you don't meet that litmus test, you're screwed. 
and you will be killed or aborted. And this is why the culture of death can't look into the eyes of abortion survivors, because they were marked for death. They were supposed to be reproductive health care. This is why Iceland celebrates that they've eradicated Down syndrome. Oh wait, they didn't. They murder all the babies diagnosed with Down syndrome and celebrate their genocide under the terms compassion, the euphemisms of demons, the euphemisms of an alternative religion that masquerade, as scripture says, as angels of light. This false compassion, which is nothing but genocide, which is nothing but the recycled ideas of the Holocaust and slavery. And so I couldn't be more pumped and excited for how God has used you to be such a prophetic voice in the culture of death. Um, because when it, someone looks at you and your joy and how God's used you and you saying, I am grateful for this because of how many people have come to Jesus, um, who then can say, oh, I can't overcome. My circumstances are too difficult for God to intervene and use me mightily. Um, but I, I want to transition on that point, actually, Nick, because life is very important to you. Um, not, not life generally and eternal life, amen. But the life of the preborn, our preborn neighbors in their mother's wombs, um, who often don't meet their parents' litmus test for quality of life, even though there's nothing genetically or physically malformed with them. It's just mom wanted to finish college. And so unfortunately that baby got in the way of her quality of life. I want you to share your heart for life with us and, and maybe also some cool stories of how God's used you uh, to speak life into this culture of death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter as Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 11 says, and actually save these children because I think your very life says uh, the pro-life position is kind of the only position. <laughs> Why don't you just share your heart with us on life? I want to say four things, starting with the fourth. First of all, if you've been at all uh, a reason as to why uh, an abortion has happened, I want to say I'm sorry and I love you and the blood and power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit can redeem you, forgive you, and you be feeling forgiven as well. God has more than where you're at right now, and he redeems the past, okay? Uh, thirdly, if you've been raped or there's incest or there was health to the mother, um, when people talk about pro-life, it's about pro-life people who want to end abortion. I haven't found anybody who's pro-life and doesn't want to end, abor uh, end abortion. Um, in a sense, um, that, that loophole uh, we have been educated on the Planned Parenthood uh, level of it being one of the most um, lucrative businesses on planet Earth under the umbrella of child sacrifice, um, uh, where all these babies' parts are being sold in the black market for who knows what. Um, and, and what we got to understand, it's a little bit bigger than that. And um, for instance, when we talk about the heartbeat bill, just for example, just on a context level, um, when we have obese women, it's harder to find the heartbeat of the uh, baby when we have an obese woman. And do you really believe that the person who's actually being paid to abort your child who won't schedule in your ultrasound without you scheduling an abortion is going to tell you, oh, I found the heartbeat. That was pretty quick. Are you kidding me? This is the accountability that even in the incremental pro-life bills, uh, still are many loopholes. And when we come here and talk about ending abortion, it's not against women. It's understanding for the unborn's right to life, right to life from conception. 
as we understand it today biblically. And so therein, the second thing I want to say um, is I was in a, uh, I was with a president, I think it was Peru, and they were trying to talk about Congress and House Representatives law being passed to open up exactly what you said about Iceland. I knew about Iceland in 2016. I nearly vomited. I'm like, I'm going to Iceland right now and say, really, guys? Really? Let's go send a thousand Down syndrome friends of ours and say, go ahead and kill him. Do it. Let's see. What are you talking about? What did you do? And you pride. You're you're proud to say, yeah, what are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. Whoo! I get passionate. Anyway, so understanding then this, they were talking about this, and I was with the president. And the president, after meeting me, it was actually up to him to make a decision about the 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 the, the um, extension of reasons as to why a woman can abort the fetus, and you know what they were talking about that week? It was all on national news and blah blah blah. It was if they have Down syndrome or if they have some kind of disability that would then prevent the viability and the quality of life of the baby herein. You know what the president said? For as long as I am president, meeting Nick Vujicic, I've realized that we need more Nick Vujicic's in our country. And for as long as I am president on my watch, we ain't passing this bill. That is the type of presidency we really should have seen as well. Sorry, from the VP Mike Pence, if he really is a pro-life, where were more pro-life things? And what we've realized is, number one, I want to tell you right now, Seth, and I love Pence and I know Pence and I'm not putting him down. I'm just saying... We should have taken care of this. Yeah. We can take care of this. In fact, many people who are listening, you don't know that 38 cities in America already, cities in America that have said, as for us and our city, we will never kill a child. Look it up on Google. Sovereign city, Lubbock of Texas, another city. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. You know what they say? You You wanna kill your child? Go and do it at another city. And what we're doing is um, we're actually having meetings. I'm not gonna actually say who we are meeting with because, so we are understanding now like never before, Seth, that if you watch Reversing Row on Netflix, yeah, that's wonderful. Can I just say it's actually a very distracting documentary. Hmm. Can I tell you why? It is very educational. It's very amazing. And I love that. It's my favorite documentary that has ever been made. But it's distracting on one thing. It's hypnotizing. The hypnosis of a Christian without real education about Roe v. Wade is that, oh, well, let's just pray that Roe v. Wade is reversed. I'll tell you right now, if you know anything about legislation, which is what being we've been on a fast track of education of legislation in the country of America to understand that states, it goes back to the states, even if Roe v. Wade is reversed and the hype and distraction is hearing correlinked with a current case right now in Mississippi. Everyone's talking about Mississippi about Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is just to 15 to 18 weeks. It's not going to reverse anything. It's got nothing to do with anything. And you know what that is? It's a hypnosis saying, 
Well, at least we're getting closer. Are you kidding me? If I was in a village and the king said, uh, we're going to sacrifice children 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday to Friday. Oh, but you Christians are actually getting a little vocal. And so because of you, I'm going to honor the Christians in our land. And so we're going to shut the doors, not 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. We're going to shut the doors 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And the Christians go, yay! Thank you, King! Thank you, King! That's what we are doing every time an incremental pro-life bill is happening. We're in the spiritual realm. We're negotiating with the devil. If we really believe that life is conceived upon conception, hence the word therein, hallelujah, amen, then we're really actually understanding that, wow, Second Chronicles 7.14 might actually have a hammer that might bring lightning from heaven, maybe before it's too late. Yeah. See, Second Chronicles 7.14 talks about if my people humble themselves and come and pray to me, I'll hear their prayer and I'll, and I'll forgive them of their sins. And then what? Heal their land. What we skip is understanding that repentance means also inclusion of stopping the sin. That's right. So back in 1970s, last paragraph, uh, 1970s, blah, blah, blah. Do you know how much it costed people to get on a plane and go to Europe? A lot of money. That's why people were trying to have abortions with a coat hanger. Okay. Well, we want you to know that you can get in a car to an abortion-friendly state today, late-term abortions, uh, New Mexico, for example, go on a plane and go have an abortion. But for if I was mayor of my town and if I was governor of my state, I would understand that we are a sovereign state. And reversing Roe v. Wade has nothing to do with what happens in Texas. What it actually means that legislation can be brought on the floor by bills to actually end abortion now and tell our people in Texas, you want an abortion? Feel free. Get in a car, get in a plane, go to Florida, go to Disney, uh, not Florida, go to California, go to Disney uh, land, go to New Mexico right next to us. Go wherever you want. Just we ain't doing it here. Well, what about the incest and the rape and the victims? What happens to the women therein? Well, yeah, check out abortion free states, AFS.life. We are reverse engineering with governors, with legislature authors right now, Seth. Next week, we got a pinnacle, pinnacle, two meetings back to back in a state I can't mention. And I believe with all my heart, Seth, mark my words. I believe there are many pro-life people who are understanding now the realization of what I've just said, what you've been saying and ringing the bell of for many, 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 many podcasts. And here we are today. Now, when you know, what will you therein do? Shame on Christian schools who never saw it as a missions field to send children to the local Planned Parenthood just to Pray. Shame on the church that don't talk about PTSD that happens for the men or the women who have abortion because guess what? They haven't got the, if you will, um, now I'm not saying every church, but many churches don't know even what to do with it. Shame on the church for us to understand that actually you can concur. Minimum half abortions happen in America. You want to have abortion in America? 
77 million people so far since 1970. How about we start going back to the youth pastors and talking about uh, waiting for marriage and keep your pants on. Where is that message? Where did that go? That's right. That's right. Many people in your church have already had an abortion and they haven't told anybody. Many pastors telling their children to have an abortion. We know who they are, guys. Now, look, there are some where there are righteous. There are wonderful things there. And and you know this more than sorry, I'm going on. And I have to say this. You can't talk it. about pro-life without talking about the broken foster care and adoption system. You can't also depend on Planned plant Parenthood to really give a good case that adoption is an option. <laughs> and us right. as a Christian, as an authentic, righteous oracle of the body of Christ who is united, how can we say that we are pro-life when we have 100,000 churches in America representing $480 billion worth of debt for buildings that were half empty last year? We have 425,000 children waiting to be a a foster kid uh, in a foster home and 122,000 today, average age, eight years old, 60% boys, 40% girls, okay, waiting for a forever home. You can't talk about these things without talking about human trafficking, without talking about the wall. Oh, the wall's political. Are you kidding me? Are you <laughs> kidding me? It's not a Trump thing. you got to no, understand no, no, no. that the people of the dark side are actually coordinating all these things under the umbrella of child sacrifice, making money off death camps. They're in. Do you really wonder why? Why? Hey, check out which administration just gave $40 million to a country called Uganda for Planned Parenthood. Find out which administration just gave a half a billion dollars cash to Africa for Planned Parenthood. Guess who hasn't visited the border yet? It's not about political. It's about a humanitarian disaster uh, that's happening right now. We know this for a fact. Border Patrol Police in America are the most expensive personnel of security America has ever given and invested in. They are committing suicide like flies. Why? Because they feel betrayed by our own country. What are they supposed to do when this is happening and 40,000 unaccompanied children have come across the border because a portion of them are back in Mexico now having to be a prostitute, human traffic, to pay off the $14,000 fee to get them there. Look, it's not against immigrants. My parents were immigrants. My wife crossed illegally across the borders of America. After 10 years, she finally got her green card, Seth, this week. We are for the immigrants. We are for the suffering. We are for them. And even in the crisis, there is ways to be pardoned and neutralized, not neutralized, but um, embedded in a country that was for immigrants. We understand that. But keeping the border open to give false hope, to bring a national security threat, again, it's not a Trump thing. It's an America thing. And I want you to know that it all comes back to guess what? Victor Marx once said, One sentence. Seth, you can't mess with people's sex and you can't mess with people's money. Welcome to the pinnacle 
of pinnacles to the 70 people who run the whole show. That's right. That's right. Sex yep. and money. Yep. Yep. It yep. sucks. Those, those, are, those are America's gods. And I, I want to get to that just next about what you're doing to fight back. But I've long said, Nick, that so many of the issues our country are facing stem from a lack of moral teaching from the pulpit. We've allowed the other side to define the terms of engagement. And so they label their bigotry, whether it's pro-abortion bigotry, whether it's childhood bigotry by saying there are, there's a hundred genders, and they masquerade it as science, and they masquerade it as politics because they know that the pulpits and the pastors and the shepherds are so afraid of being labeled political that they will abdicate and refuse to preach against child sacrifice to pagan idols because they don't want to be called a political hack. I spent years cold calling myself, Nick, into Protestant and Catholic high schools. I'd get the campus pastor on the phone. I'd get him to like me. I'd get him to be comfortable giving me a chapel talk and doing interactive Q&A with the students. It is a pain in the butt to get a pro-life speaker into a faith-based high school who says they worship who, Nick? Oh yeah, they worship an embryo, an unborn deity, God himself, who takes on human fetal flesh and identifies with us from the womb, from the moment we become human beings. But apparently, you know, you wouldn't have preached out against Planned Parenthood in the first century, targeting Mary for aborting your savior. That's all I'm trying to articulate in your chapel. And so why are we surprised then that we have a generation of young Christian leaders, young pastors, young youth pastors, who say, oh, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life. Yeah, totally. And then you look at what they do and you're like, oh, well, you're about as anti-abortion as the Levite and the priest were anti-street mugging in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Levite and the priest were pastors, Nick. They were probably on the way to their synagogue to, synagogue to preach a sermon about loving neighbor. But there was a bleeding neighbor on the side of the road, and Luke's gospel says uh, they walked by on the uh, other side of the road. Um, most American churches, their pro-life expression only evidenced itself with words. Just like the Levite and the priest said, I'm anti-street mugging. Oh, but oh, it's someone who got mugged? I'm sorry, I'm too busy. Um, as my friend Justin Reeder from Love Life says, there's only one place in America, Nick, where we can say this statement. We know every day where broken and hurting families are showing up and innocent human beings are scheduled to die. There's only one place that we can say that, and there's 1,700 of them. 1,700 facilities that tear the limbs off of our preborn neighbors. And pastor's silence on this issue is actually permission. And the silence is deafeningly loud. And so young people who, as you stated, 30 plus percent of them, Protestant Christians are getting abortions. It must not be that important to God, right, if my pastor never talks about it. And so you've been fighting for life, liberty, and the gospel in the culture of death for a long time. I think you're flying at a higher theological, cultural, and political um, uh, playing field than probably very few people uh, in the country are. So I want to get your insights onto that. You're starting to fight back in a lot of cool ways, but specifically on life itself, Nick. Um, and, and I'm sure you just fired, uh, just fired our, con our listeners up to start hitting these abortion centers with the, the, the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church. But you have teamed up with our good friend, Betsy Gray, to provide a way for people to actually fight back. Um, because our gods are sex and money. 
And capitalism always wins, Nick. Capitalism always wins. So capitalism will either, will either uh, bring victories for evil or it'll bring victory for righteousness when God's people are stewards and they start treating what God's given them as still God's property. You're applying that biblical um, principle to the pro-life movement in the area of money. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Because everyone who listens to this show is doing so because they want to be a better ambassador for the pre-born. And I think you're starting to provide a mindless and easy way for people to be stewards of what God's given them to save lives, change minds, and take back life in, in America. I'm going to divide that into uh, uh, being ambassador for the unborn. Let's just say ambassador for Jesus first. If you look up the book, The Power of the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, write this down. The, the Power, the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. It's your understanding that we don't have to be just Christians and, you know, crossing our arms. Oh, this is happening. Oh, this is happening. We don't know. Blah, blah, blah. No, get on, become a councilman, become a councilwoman, get in the political arena be, to be the salt and light. I think Amen. that was the disability of the church because politics runs media, politics runs policies, politics says that whether socialism or capitalism is us, it's actually politics. Get on your school board. Get around those people Amen. who Amen. understand biblically related initiatives and principles and get behind them. Now, an ambassador of the unborn. Um, well, first of all, Betsy and I, we started an incredible friendship. And in the spirit, she became my spiritual mom. I became her spirit, one of her spiritual sons. She'd call me son. I call her mom. For three years, she'd be praying for me through the night for things that only God told her whispering through the night. And then she said, I pray for you for this, 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 and this. And I know that I didn't tell her that and only God would have told her. So I know she's got the red phone. So when Betsy Grace says something, you got to freaking listen because you're going to be in trouble. And so um, she uh, uh, she no longer works at uh, Network Medical um, at this point. But um, there was a donation that came in to help that organization and they couldn't find a bank in Santa Barbara, not one, that didn't philanthropically give to abortion providers in America. Not one credit union, not one bank. That's right. 90% of your listeners right now, your bank, pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm just wondering if philanthropically you as my bank look after Planned Parenthood. For philanthropy, do you do that for social responsibility? Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> Thanks. Just check it out. Just call them. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and what you're going to understand, um, I didn't know that until later. Anyway, 2018, um, uh, God told Betsy, you started my bank, Pro-Life Bank. She started talking to investors who were billionaires. They said, well, Pro-Life Bank is a little bit on the nose. I don't know if any business people really want that on their checkbook from Pro-Life Bank. And that's exactly why she actually changed from Pro-Life Bank to Bank for Life. That's what we're looking at, right? And so we're doing all these calls and no one's blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Betsy, you need someone to run it. She said, God told me you're my co-founder. I said, no. She said, pray about it. Two weeks later, she said, God told me you're my co-founder. So I said, well, let him tell me. So don't talk to me for three months. And she did. She didn't talk to me. She didn't text me. She didn't call me nothing for three months. And I'm sitting there waiting. How on earth would God actually confirm, yeah, start my bank with Betsy? Well, in those uh, three months, I got kicked out, Seth, of a bank. 
I woke up one day, my credit cards were frozen, my debit cards were frozen, um, the, 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 the credit score, uh, and if you heard about which bank actually, uh, I don't want to even mention which bank, doesn't matter which bank because they all give to Planned Parenthood just about. Uh, it's not about who, right? But what we got to understand is um, the, the, the understanding um, that uh, they didn't want to talk to me. They said, we, 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 we're sending a letter. The letter said, you got 30 days to get your money out. No, sorry, no apology, blah, blah, blah. My credit score went from 827 to 606 pretty quickly. Um, and then they said, you got to find another bank uh, to bank with. I called my friend CIA and uh, I said, am I on a list? He said, no, you're not. You should be able to open up another bank. I opened up another bank the next day and here we are. And then God said, are you now ready to start my bank? And in the trademark, we were going for Bank for Life, but guess what happened? Uh, we realized we can't actually do it because 21 banks are going for that trademark of Bank for Life. And so uh, with lightning behind, literally sitting in the back of my car, we realized, oh my goodness, we're back to Pro-Life Bank and bang, lightning struck. And I'm like, okay, we're doing it. So Pro-Life Bank is the name. And no wow. joke, it's exactly how it happened. And uh, uh, it's proposed, Pro-Life Bank proposed, because the FDIC regulations and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, Seth, what we uh, understand is obviously we will never steward God's money with a bank that uses that money to make money to fund death camps. Yep. Amen. Furthermore, we're going to give away 50% of net proceeds from Pro-Life Bank proposed to Judeo-Christian aligned nonprofit organizations that are biblically aligned. Wow. Furthermore, we did 26 interviews uh, in a span of uh, 24 hours, which now if you Google Nick Voyager's Pro-Life Bank, it's blown up and I thank you for giving me this platform to talk about it. Um, we have uh, 40,000 people who've emailed us ready for the first announcement. Um, I don't know when this is going to be broadcasted, but within days from now of this recording, uh, there's going to be an announcement only to the people who gave us the email because I don't trust Facebook. I don't trust uh, uh, Instagram. Am I still on them? Yes, I am. Uh, and I'll stay on there until they kick me off there too. But I'm just going to say, here we are, Pro-Life Bank. We're actually opening up a trust, Seth, because people are saying 12 months is too long. 18 months is too long. We need it now. So our wisdom and the corporate structure uh, attorneys and the wisdom around us and the board and the people are saying, well, let's open up a trust. So eventually it's going to be a bank and trust. Uh, and so the trust is going to be the vehicle in which we can at least open up debit card and accounts, savings and, and checkings accounts on the wow. app uh, roughly within six months um, to be pro-life fintech. Uh, and Absolutely. so that's the idea, and um, we're we're really understanding, Seth, that um, with that insurance, wealth management, and can I just say this? Two things. CFO of one of the largest ministries in the world just told us, uh, and we're talking this week, that they were looking for a bank to invest in because many of their donors also got kicked out. Wow. Uh, and then 52 billionaires have told us that not only will they come alongside Pro-Life Bank, but Seth, they're not going to do any business with anybody who doesn't bank with Pro-Life Bank. <laughs> this is oh, God coming epic. back and bringing back the wealth. 
And in, I think, Second Chronicles 28, Betsy keeps on saying it, that there are people who won't even worry about, well, what equity do I have to invest in it? We have investors, Seth, that will be a miracle that's all going to be in a book that we're writing. It's all God. God. It's all to him. It's all his. Just pray for us. And we know what uh, costs to count because as soon – and I'm going to tell you this. March 2019, an incredible board member, Paul Saber of Life Without Limbs, who's no longer on our board due to some other personal things that was happening in his time and his family, his time. Um, he said, where is Nick's voice on pro-life? And me and my wife, we said a prayer, Seth, God, if it is your will that we become vocal for pro-life, we're ready and we are committed to that fight if that's what you want. Within 16 weeks, there was a false article framing me as anti-LGBTQ in the Pride magazine, falsely, false accusations. There was a grenade with a pin found at my home. There was a spying drone over my home for a day and a half. Um, There was a lawsuit that's actually now being filed um, from someone overseas. There is a, um, what else was, oh, and then the bank kicked me out. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So um, all that <laughs> happened within 16 weeks of that prayer. And uh, what you're seeing is Nick, not a prideful Nick. Uh, this is not pride. My confidence is not pride. Trust me. Uh, if I had any anything known in my life is uh, less of me, more of him, and knowing that he's always in control, Um, And that's not false humility either, but it's in that humility that we can stand confidently and approach the throne of grace boldly. Um, But this is the passionate Nick. This is the passionate Nick side for the unborn, for the foster kids, for the single mothers, for the single fathers. This is the beginning of taking America back. And we believe next year, I'm going to say this is the first time ever, that in Tulsa, Oklahoma next year is going to be a gathering of a million people to go on our face and our knees. And on behalf of America, one million people repenting and begging God to forgive America of our sins and to heal our land. And uh, we believe that there will be three states in lockstep to make a national press conference to say us three states, we've come together. Three-legged stool to flip ten. No more abortion in our state. Wow, that's amazing, Nick. You know, um, we are often accused of being theocrats and making an idol out of politics. And what people don't understand is that the correct word is stewardship. Um, As Abraham Kuyper once said, there's not a square inch in this world in which God is not sovereign and scream, mine. Um, What a blessing in America that we're the sovereign, Nick, right? And that our leaders are accountable to us. And so as my good friend and brother historian Bill Federer says, that for years you had kings and you had counselors to the king. In America, the people are the king and the pulpits and the Christians are the counselor to the king, to their fellow citizens to promote righteousness and withhold evil in the public square, insofar as we can, given current political realities. But we don't wait for favorable legislation to save children, Nick. We take up our role as the body of Christ to love our unborn neighbors. 
And this is why I work with Love Life, and I've spoken in more churches in the last eight months, Nick, than in the previous eight years of my speaking career. Because I think the Lion of the tribe of Judah is on the move. And as Churchill once said, stirring men's souls, drawing them from their firesides, casting aside wealth, comfort, and the pursuit of happiness in response to impulses at once awe-striking and irresistible. That something is going on in space and time and beyond space and time, which whether we like it or not, spells duty. This is a Kairos moment for the church, and I couldn't be more grateful for how God is using you in that Kairos moment to take back life, to repent of our national sins and pray that God would bless this land once again. Last great American revival, when did it wrap up, Nick? Early 1970s, Billy Graham. What happened in the early 1970s? Child sacrifice on demand through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all, funded by the public dole. And we wonder why our cries for revival have not been answered. I wonder why. So thank you so much for exactly. what you're doing. Pray, stop praying for revival. An evangelist telling you, stop praying for revival. Stop it. We are the church. Point the finger to us. Let's be the church and stop being distracted and act surprised that evil people are doing evil things. Where <laughs> is the church? You're the church, and I promise you that if you build a fire with dry logs and you put a starter log and you put a match to that, guess what happens? Fire. Stop praying <laughs> fire. Go get your logs. That's right. Amen, Nick. Well, that's a powerful line to, to finish on. I, I, I can't do anything but finish with that. Guys, go to ProLifeBank.com, ProLifeBank.com to learn more, be the first to know when they launch. Listen, uh, money, sex is an idol. The result of that is the murder of children conceived in sex because we believe the serpent's lie in Genesis 3 that ye shall be as gods. And a god gets to decide who lives and who dies. Ultimately, we're not contending for political fights, Nick, Nick. We're contending for spiritual fights, for spiritual warfare that the enemy has slapped the word politics on and science on in order to silence the very people who should be contending for those things in the public square. So guys, ProLifeBank.com, what an exciting story and way that God has moved um, through what you're launching with Betsy. Um, guys, the left has for a long time changed their purchasing habits in order to try to bring about the end of con companies with Christian and conservative values. Um, they won't go to Chick-fil-A. They won't go to these organizations that have Christian values. But we as Christians, apparently, we're happy to spend our money with people that support death because those lattes are just too good, Nick. Um, well, it's about time we have the same passion for promoting life as the left does for promoting wickedness by changing our purchasing habits and what we own, which is not ours in the first place, it's God's, to honor him. And that starts with life because God will not bless a land or a country that sanctions, celebrate, and fund the slaughter of his children in a womb that his son once entered human history in. Nick, why don't you give us 60 seconds of a closing uh, call to arms and we'll say goodbye. Dude. Get ready for the United Christian Nations. Get ready for a car, electric car manufacturing company in America, run by Christians, owned by Christians for the glory of God. I'm not putting rumors out there. I'm just going to say, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm, that's a, I'm just saying, when you look at your chair that you're sitting on, I, I want to be righteous. This is not OCD. This is not, you're a fanatic. 
I am fundamentally fanatic about <laughs> That's right. Jesus being Lord. That's right. Lord of all, and he has a plan for all. And his grace is sufficient to carry those mothers who were abused, who were raped, who were on the brink of death, um, right. giving born, a, a, a birth of a child. It's not that we're going to, you know, do this and this and this and this is the thing. And this. No, no, no. It's coming alongside these women. It's helping them, but making sure that if this is the case, that it's actually done correctly and not giving a loophole to the devil, that yeah. then could take one more. That's right. Amen. Nick, thank you so much, brother, for being obedient and using your life and your resources as a fragrant offering and sacrifice back to the, to the King of Kings. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll, we'll have to do this again. You bless us. You bless our listeners. And we're excited to see how God uses everything you're doing for his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You are the King of Kings. You get all the glory. Thank you for Seth. Thank you for this podcast. Thank you for all those, Lord God. Um, who are not hypnotized or in a coma. Lord Jesus, we thank you for those of us who are remnant, who have seen the signs of the time, who saw the writing on the wall, who sees what's going on. And Father, we ask that you would help us to do what you want us to do, how you want us to do it, and with whom. In Jesus' name, we pray for our enemies. We pray that you would lift the scales in Jesus' name of the spiritually blinded, convict them of their sin, bring them to repentance in Jesus' name. For there is not one soul that you cannot reach by your blood because it was done once and for all on the cross. We thank you for the power of the resurrection. We thank you for the power and the assurance of eternal life through that. And we ask God that you bless this podcast indeed and everyone listening. Pray, we pray for healing. We pray for forgiveness of even people who cannot forgive themselves of the shame and guilt of the past. We thank you, Lord, that it's not you who are giving us shame and condemnation, for there is no shame and condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we ask, God, that you would poke the church, those who are in a coma, in the eye. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick, so much. Thank you, brother. Uh, guys, uh, go to ProLifeBank.com. Go subscribe and to get more information when they launch. Thanks for joining us today. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com, to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule if you want to hear me speak live and local, um, and to book me for an event. My 2021 calendar is almost full. God is on the move in the church. We want to wake them up to end this atrocity. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.